0: What I'm asking a, a person wrestling with shame and addiction and pornography to recognize is, Jesus is not, is not who you think, he is after the marginalized, he is after those who are on the outs. In fact, if you've experienced shame, that is, that is good evidence that he's coming for you. <laughs> uh, you are right in the very center of his, of his mission statement.
1: Welcome to Help Me Teach the Bible. Help Me Teach the Bible is a production of the Gospel Coalition, sponsored by Crossway, a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible Christian Books and Tracks. You can learn more at crossway.org. I'm Nancy Guthrie. I'm here in Minneapolis today. In fact, you'll probably hear plenty of people talking around me because I am here at the Minneapolis Convention Center surrounded by about 2,000 pastors and their wives and other ministry leaders, and we're all here for the Bethlehem Pastors and Ministry Leaders Conference. On this episode of Help Me Teach the Bible, I have the privilege of sitting down with Ed Welch. Now, anyone who's ever intersected with the incredible ministry of CCEF, which is the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, I'm sure has heard of Ed Welch. So, Ed, thank you so much for lending your expertise to us as we seek to become better Bible teachers.
0: Thank you for the kind introduction.
1: So you have a Ph.D. in counseling from the University of Utah, a Master of Divinity degree from Biblical Theological Seminary. Uh, You've been counseling over 30 years, and I imagine some of our listeners have read some of your incredible books. I mean, as I mentioned to people that I was going to be talking to you, they would burst out with a book that they read that they found so helpful. So books like When People Are Big. It astounds me. Does it? It's,
0: It's... I write books because I I struggle with things, or I have friends who struggle with things, and Me I too. feel like that's the end of it. And and <laughs> uh, and then they get out there and they
1: help people. How about that? It's
0: such, a, <laughs> it's such an unusual gift that yeah. other people would actually read them.
1: So. I know. When people are big and God is small, and this is the one that I've heard a number of people really appreciate, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. Did you come up with that title? Because that's just brilliant.
0: That's a great title. I I plagiarized it from Proverbs. Blame it on the brain, on
1: depression, running scared, shame interrupted. And your most recent book to come out, a book uh, published by Crossway, is Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. So thank you for your ministry through books. Why don't we begin this way? Would you just tell us a little bit about how you came into this kind of ministry? Hmm,
0: thank you for asking. Grew up in a Christian home and love my parents. They're great people, but I just didn't want to follow Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't against them. It wasn't a protest against the church. It was it was, it was just a statement for my own desires, and it didn 't seem like Jesus was going to satisfy them so I, I simply didn 't follow Jesus through high school, went to college and and was involved in various things I was involved in athletics and, and and during the end of college there was i think there were a few trajectories and one was yeah, you 're graduating from college. what are you going to do with your life? Uh, another was seeing that I had a bit of a secret life, and I think the spirit was was Prompting me toward morality, toward uh, being more open and honest, and my mother used to put a Bible in my suitcase when I went to school. Uh, so, so I think all those things together. I started reading my Bible the last year in college, and and the Spirit just did this work, and I became uh, where. Whereas I think there was a tradition of I see, I saw I did, I saw I did wrong things, and I'd like to do right things and now I saw it was wrong against God, and it was over a course of a month or so, and at that point I abandoned any plans I had for graduate school, and I said, this Bible is, is really something. It's, it seems to be quite powerful, so I'd like to study it, and that's, that's really the reason I went to seminary. I simply wanted to study the Bible. I wasn't thinking vocationally. I, I didn't know what the vocational options were, so I went to, to seminary, study the Bible, and I felt like, I felt like I was, I felt like I was in Disneyland for for the entire time. It was just it was just wonderful. I I had some interest in psychology uh, in undergraduate, uh, who are people and how do people work and where are we going, but I, I I really didn't find any anything in psychology that was was useful at all. So I was headed more toward toward research and education or philosophy. Uh, but I had that that interest in the back of my mind. Around my second year in seminary, I I ended up having a counseling course. There was this was years and years ago. They weren't doing counseling courses in the seminary, and I was able to observe somebody using the Scripture in counseling other people. It was just it was really the very beginning of the biblical counseling movement. And actually, it was at CCF where I'm working presently, and in the that that. That, that co- The combination of knowing someone and and having access to the details of their life and seeing scripture speak very meaningfully to those details it was it was just invigorating to me it was thrilling and, and I suspect it probably suited me as well i think i 'd prefer one on one rather than being in front of people I, I think by nature i 'd prefer to be in the background rather than in the foreground and so so the the context of counseling it worked and and that was about it, um, and it just so happens that God very graciously allowed me to have this as my life's work, who would have thought. Mm.
1: So how do you use the Bible in that one-on-one? How does, how does the way you counsel uh, at CCF differ from maybe I make an appointment with a counselor somewhere in my city, and they say they're a Christian, uh, but the Bible never seems to necessarily get used?
0: I'll answer but by the things that are important to me. Okay. Uh, I, I can't imagine somebody having true help if, 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 if we don't have access to revelation, which allows us to see things we would have never seen otherwise, uh, and, and unless we could actually know the person of Christ. I, I, I just can't imagine being able to help someone apart from, from such resources. I have no idea how how I would help somebody apart from that. I don't always open the Bible every single time I'm with somebody, but I do pray every single time I'm with someone. And I think I can also identify, if you, st- if you stop me at any moment in counseling, say, like, why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? I, th- I think I would be able to offer very fairly clear biblical rationale for, for why I'm doing it. So, so scripture is constantly informing me in, in what I say and in how I say it. But it, it's not always chapter and verse that we're going to. But, but, Nancy, I think that's changing. There are so many different ways that I find myself using Scripture in counseling. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the, the most simple way. I have access to a person's story, and, 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 and in, in some ways I feel like I am the, the caretaker of that story. As I've gotten to know someone over a period of weeks these i'm the one responsible to assembling assemble these various pieces that they've offered and it's this isn't standard but it's it's common for me to begin by okay here's the story that that we have so far and and before we before we dive into some other things let me let me just read scripture together and and we'll simply read scripture sometimes scripture is my own devotions from that particular morning but we simply read scripture and and the question becomes what is there anything in that scripture that links to to what we to this story that that we've been talking about now now that's that seems like a, a cheating way to use scripture because it, it doesn't seem like this wonderful matching of a struggle in somebody's life. And, and, and just sort of going through, what, you know, where, what are the precise words of God that can speak to this particular person? It's, it, it's, in a sense, here's the book of Ephesians. And listening about Ephesians is that it's not, it doesn't seem to be identifying one particular problem in the church and, okay, I'm struggling with fear. Let's read Ephesians. <laughs> I'm, struggling with, I'm struggling with depression. Let's read Ephesians and see if, there's, if there are things that, that, come, that come screaming off the page that, that speak to depression. So there, there are a number of different ways to use it. But, but I, I find the older I get, the more the of more the people I speak to, they're so appreciative of, of a short devotional that, mm-hmm. that really... It really establishes reality because the nature of personal problems is, is they can be so loud and so consuming. All that's all we see. Distorted
1: and reality is what we're experiencing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and for for us to almost open scripture at random and, and say so let's just let's just read something mm. from the scripture and.
1: Well, I think what that speaks to is that the word of God is living and active. And sharper than any two-edged sword. And God speaks through his word. I mean, I actually like it that you say, okay, you're not, you're not, it's not that you've got a problem. You're going to go to the one passage that addresses it. And not that you never do that because I'm quite sure you do. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying speaks to the fact that you expect God to speak through his word as you open it with someone. And he will use it in their lives and make it fruitful.
0: Yeah, Oftentimes with someone I will say, why don't we do this? Why don't we? Why don't we consider a book of the Bible, and and oftentimes I'll try to read it with them, uh, not out loud because they'll do it privately and I'll do it privately, but with them in mind, and 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 here's our struggle. Let's 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 read and pray until until somehow the the treasures of that particular let, letter begin to reveal themselves to hmm. us. So I, it, it's not uncommon for me to do that, but here's, here's what I find, that it's hard to read Scripture by yourself when you're struggling with things, when you're really overwhelmed That's with things. True. Anxieties, for example, they, you just want to get rid of them, and Scripture doesn't seem like it's going to be answer, the answer to that. If you're depressed, there, there's, this, there's this hopelessness and, and this sense that there's no good anywhere, and so why bother reading Scripture? So... So I think I I will suggest that to people and occasionally people will do it but if if they don't and that's fairly common then well why but, don't yeah. we just do it together now here I am been counseling for 35 years and and um it doesn't seem very sophisticated and again it's not the only way that we use scripture but it is one of the pleasures of scripture is it's just accessible stuff and and uh, and the lord uses it and and, and it, it's not always me finding this wonderful insight that i've that i've gleaned from a particular passage mm-hmm.
1: one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you ed is that i uh, i know you capably counsel a lot of people so you see into the interior of people's lives into their struggles and oftentimes as teachers we're putting a lot of focus on our study of the scriptures, trying to come to the Holy Spirit-intended meaning of the text, which we want to capably uh, illumine and present to those we're teaching. And we're thinking about our outline and how we're going to get into it with our introduction and the applications that we're going to make. And hopefully we are thinking about the people that we're going to teach it to. But I think so often we're thinking so much about getting them to understand our points and perhaps don't recognize all of the things going on in all of the hearts and lives and reality of those who are sitting there listening to us that becomes the filter through which they can hear us or perhaps they can't hear us. And I'm thinking of the realities of things like a marriage that's failing, um, either their own addiction or the addiction of someone else in their family, uh, depression, anxiety, shame, uh, being caught up in sin. So perhaps you could help us as Bible teachers how can we, in our preparation and in our delivery of our teaching, how can we reach real people who are yeah. out there going through real difficulty and yeah. those kind of things?
0: That's a great can question. Can you help me? In see? some way, I think Scripture itself guides us in that, where especially the New Testament letters, they are written to people who have particular problems and particular struggles. So, so there's no such thing as a New Testament letter that... Oh, here's some here's some interesting teaching for you, and and put this in your growing corpus that uh, that you can grapple with. He, the pastoral letters are for pastoral problems, <laughs> so so in other words, scripture itself encourages us to use that scripture that way. Uh, here's let me see if I can think of an example how how we could do that. Uh, something like this. Before we get into the scripture, if if, if we're if we're teaching, mm-hmm. let's. Let's consider our own lives for a moment. And, and, and in our own lives, we all have our own particular issues right now, but we want to come to Scripture with our neediness. We, we need Jesus. So, so consider that before we get into this particular passage. Let's identify what are the, what are the things, especially the things that are hard, where we, where we, where we truly need to turn to Christ, and let's let's identify them. Let's let's put words on them. Now, for, from there, say Jesus, help. And 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 now let's allow Scripture to, to speak to us. So I think something is as simple as that. Even more specifically, I I've heard I've heard people do James four before, for example. Uh, James four is this great passage on, on anger. It's one thing to accumulate important information about anger, but, but simply to say, OK, we're going to talk about anger today. James is going to speak to us about anger. And it's, it's not going to be worth our while unless we can first identify that this is something we struggle with in our own lives. And scripture is going to be a huge asset here, because scripture doesn't simply identify anger as as the yelling and screaming and hitting scripture's specialty with anger is actually grumbling and complaining. That's, you know, that's, the, that's the beginning of anger in the Exodus story, mm-hmm. the people grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron. And ah, where do you grumble and complain in your life? Where do you roll your eyes? And, and, and it can all be in your own imaginations. It doesn't even have to be coming out of your mouths. But But this is what we're going to do we're going to find that we are on this anger spectrum and and from there we're going to go to James chapter four Mm -hmm. so it's it's a small step it doesn't obviously doesn't take that much time but it it's it's that scripture speaks to life Mm. (laughs) doctrine is practical doctrine theology is practical theology it's it's intended to serve us in in the struggles we have in life and how do we grow in wisdom, which is the nitty-gritty growth in, in challenging lives.
1: What I heard in what you did there, and correct me if I'm wrong, you made the assumption we're teaching through James, and we recognize it deals with anger, and so then we figure out how to help our people see that that is an issue for them. That's a little bit different than saying, I'm going to teach about anger. Can I find a passage of scripture that speaks
0: to it? Isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's 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 a small thing. It's, okay, here's something we know. You are angry. I'm not saying you... you in, no, in it's okay. Go now. ahead. Point <laughs> a finger. <laughs> but, but uh-uh. Okay. It's... It just, all of a sudden, Scripture becomes rich and and just invades these details we weren't expecting it to invade.
1: Lots of what is labeled as Bible teaching in our churches is often a little bit more like life coaching or (laughs) psychologizing and just offering good advice. How do we as teachers stay true to our primary task, which is teaching the scriptures, and yet address some of these very real needs?
0: You you captured my attention when you said the word advice. Why? Uh, because I'm a counselor, and and people, one thing I still don't understand is people actually pay to talk to me sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's always a mystery to me that they do that. And so you would think that if people pay to talk to you, they would want advice, and, and and they're not looking for advice. People are not. They're not looking for advice. They're they're looking for something more personal. And let me just let me, let me just take another passage of scripture mm-hmm. on this. Um, so I think you're I, I think you're you're knocking on something very important. I was I was thinking about the Matthew six and the Luke twelve passages in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be anxious. And and they ah. Okay, great. I, I, I have some. I have a technique here that can keep me from being anxious. And anybody who's anxious, which includes most everybody, any any nice little technique that can, or or advice from Scripture that can that can assuage their anxiety is, is a good thing. But but what we find in Scripture is 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 if there, if it is advice, it is always emanating from a person and. And, and so we move into, in, in, into these particular passages. I'll, I'll use the Matthew 6 passage. Okay. Find anxiety in your life. Where, who are you worried about? Uh, your health, your children's health, <laughs> uh, uh, your, your financial profile, your, vo- your vocation, whatever it might be. And, and now, now hear this. Christ comes along and and he's going to take a walk with us that's what he's going to do he's going to take a walk and in that walk he's going to point out sparrows he's going to talk, he's going to point out grass and and he, he's he's going to point out all these things that he cares about because he created them but they're a lot less interesting to him than than we are and and then he he's 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 going to speak to us more specifically about our own anxieties and and He's gonna essentially say, Seek the kingdom. That is, seek the king of the kingdom. Seek the king today. And and in the king, somehow your anxieties are ultimately personal. You, you don't want a technique that will deal with them. It's can you find the right person to trust? <laughs> can you find the king who both comes close to you in love and and is powerful? and can be trusted let's bring our own struggles to the scripture and then as we bring scr- struggles to the scripture rather than trying to find some sort of advice we're always aiming for that particular person and let me let me let me just give one other illustration here which i think is 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 is, is one i hear often it's in philippians chapter four and don't be anxious so it's the same thing don't be anxious Ah, okay, and, and and then don't be anxious. Instead, think about these things and think about these things, and you know, the right and good and true. And so, there's there's some advice, and and I think my struggle with that advice is I've never found it to be very helpful. So I'll I'll try to think about things that are right and good, and and the, you know, they're they're vapors. They they disappear, and the anxieties come come immediately in. What? what 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 animates all Philippians 4 obviously is is right before the passage where it says don't be anxious the lord is near the lord is near <laughs> and and that's that's what we pause on and and typically when it says don't be anxious it's either going to say god is with you or or, or it's going to it's going to come sooner or later in in the context and and that's that's our that's our challenge and here's Excuse me for talking too much on this, but you know uh, I'm
1: interviewing you because I wanted you to talk, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> I was I was hoping to hear more from you, but okay, all right. Well, the challenge I think sometimes that a Bible teacher can raise is: is this a bait and switch where I'm getting into Scripture and it says don't be anxious, and I'm looking for some techniques to get rid of my anxiety, and what I get is a person, uh, and, and and sometimes. You know, we, we like the person, but the person doesn't seem to be the one to immediately assuage your anxieties. And that's, that's what we're after. And, and, and I think sometimes as a Bible teacher, just, just to be able to anticipate, here are the wrestlings. Here's this beautiful teaching in Scripture, but, you know, sometimes we know it's beautiful, but we were hoping for something that would have more immediate consequences with the struggles of our lives. Uh, and... And it becomes an occasion for us to say the system we 're living in is is a little bit different than what we expected and, and 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 do we realize that that perhaps what the Lord is after is not the extinction of all anxieties and fears because then we wouldn 't have any reason to turn to him uh, Why would we'd we cherish
1: our... that he 's near if we don 't really absolutely. need him absolutely
0: and and instead, anxieties and fears become the occasion for us to, to call out to him and say, help, and, and to say, oh, oh this, this thing that you keep telling me, you're with me in the midst of my anxieties and my fears. Could you teach me more of that? Could you teach me more of how you are precious? Could you teach me more in my anxieties to, to know you and be able to rest in you in a new way?
1: I think that is so helpful, Ed. I guess part of being a good teacher is to anticipate objections, mm-hmm. right? And
0: and sometimes and, they're, they're apologetic uh-huh. objections. What we're talking about, objections, are more, are more deeply personal. Yes, <laughs> like
1: the objection, like, I came here today for you to tell me how to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like to me, you're saying to me as a teacher, which I think is really helpful, be content not to provide all of the how-to, that you've done your job if you point them to a who <laughs> instead of a how-to to lead them toward Christ rather than trying to fill it up with good advice and one, two, three, four steps to get your problem solved.
0: Yeah, and and, and then for a Bible teacher to be able to say, this is the beginning of of grappling with anxieties, not the end this is this is our entrance into it and and now, now the work begins. What does it mean to meditate on these things? What does it mean to pray slowly through these passages? the passage parts of the passage that we know are important and meaningful, but they but we feel deaf to them to to pray for them. What does it mean to to, to go to another brother or sister, and, and say, "Could you pray? For, could you pray this passage for me?" Mm-hmm. Because it seems like it should be a good passage and a lively passage, but it's not. It's absolutely mm-hmm. dead to me. To, you know, to, that's part of that anticipation. But what you're what you're identifying is a Bible teacher. Is this is process called progressive sanctification, and it's this wonderful journey, and it's not this light switch where all of a sudden it goes on and everything's fine it's it's more this we're we're thrown into this new world and and have the privilege of grappling with life and turning to Christ and grappling again and then asking for help from others and asking for prayer and meditating and 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 and, and with with great maturity insisting that scripture begins to yield things that actually penetrate our hearts it's mm. that's you're as a bible teacher you're you want to set the stage for for that kind of drama
1: absolutely so some of us as bible teachers tend to put all of our energy into understanding and communicating the bible and we're not necessarily good one-on-one counselors
0: oh i don't believe that <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: but some people might assume that we are because we seem to have some scripture-based wisdom when we teach And we do recognize that part of teaching is shepherding people and loving people where they are. So what would you say to the teacher who tends to want to (laughs) only teach the Bible up front and not get into more of a one-on-one counseling situation with someone in the class?
0: (laughs) Uh, Thank you for the question. (sighs) You're right that, that not just Bible teachers, but... All Christians can use the Scripture very poorly. The problem is we know th- we know things. We, we, you know, the Bible speaks to the issues of life, and 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 oftentimes we we can short circuit the simple process of knowing and bearing a burden with someone. And, and it's then messy.
1: It gets messy dealing with people and their real problems.
0: It's it, it's certainly not efficient. I, I think one of the great benefits of of of, of Personal ministry for a bible teacher is as you see how the Bible is actually really hard to to actually bring it into problems that are incredibly intense, it is really, really hard work and and what what does that mean It means that in in, in my ministry with people i could i 'm sure with most people I could think of Bible verses that would be apt for them within the first five minutes, but to to know that person until you are moved by them, until you are affected by them in some way it 's once you 're affected by them, all of a sudden you don 't feel like a teacher anymore the The metaphor changes a teacher the metaphor of the teacher is i 'm the teacher and you 're the student there 's but, but once you are moved by another person, the metaphor is different. And now you're a, a kind of friend, mm-hmm. and you are a, you're this fellow traveler, which is one of the images of Scripture where we're, we're walking with Christ and each other toward Christ uh, and in and, and, and his house. All of a sudden, that picture of we are these travelers comes together, and so what do we do? Mm. How can we... How can we search scripture? What is it that God says to us right now?
1: So you've written a lot on addiction and depression and shame. So talk to us a little bit about how those things create a filter uh, through which people struggling with them hear what we're trying to teach. And maybe you can even take a passage and tell us how you might Make application from it that speaks directly to the person in the grips of addiction, or in the fog of depression, or carrying a load of shame. Uh, Those that, are all different. I'm yeah,
0: sure, well, they overlap. Let me uh, let me put my mind around shame and addiction because right. they tend to go together. A person with shame, the ugliness of their being is something they want to cover up, and they don't they don't want Scripture to speak to it because. Because they know what Scripture is going to say. You're, you're this loathsome person, and, and I don't even know why you're here. I don't even know why you're being included in this, this group of people. They are persuaded that the only right thing the Lord can do is turn away from them. So here's Jesus. And, and, and his mission statement is that he is for the poor, he 's for the outcasts i 'm thinking of the, when, when he reads from the scroll of Isaiah uh, that it 's the the release of captives, and these are all people who actually were the shame people. so what do I do with that i I mention it, but a shame person is not going they 're not going to be too excited about it because it, it's they 're so accustomed to to simply experiencing their own Their own uncleanness they can 't imagine that scripture would speak to them in a way that was somehow gentle and mm. and personal but it it's it's a start and and then we then we watch Jesus in action and and in John chapter four would be a passage that we all know the Samaritan woman uh, and but but the intent of that passage is. Jesus is intentionally going through unclean territory to an unclean outcast, a woman who is known by her sins. And, and then, as far as I can tell, he engages in the longest conversation with one person in the entire New Testament, which that should be arresting in some way. Okay, so what I'm asking a, a person wrestling with shame and addiction and pornography to recognize is jesus is not is not who you think he is after the marginalized he is after those who are on the outs. in fact, if you 've experienced shame that is that is good evidence that he 's coming for you. <laughs> uh, you are right in the very center of his of his mission statement. We, we do a doctrinal study on on John chapter four and it's it 's great. But the person struggling with shame, it's completely irrelevant. That's you know, whatever scripture is speaking to, it's speaking to you and speaking to the nice people of the world, and it's not speaking to me. And, and so, we're, so we're, we're trying to take John seriously, and we're saying, if you're familiar with shame, John is asking you to come close. He's giving you all kinds of details, and he's saying, consider this as your story. Here is Jesus. Coming close to you and so i 'm I'm tr- I'm trying to be fair to the text i 'm not trying to again just be nice and invite people i 'm trying to i 'm trying to get my head around what, what I think John is trying to do and he 's inviting the outcasts. And, and 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 occasionally as a bible teacher uh, I, I find myself doing this as a bible teacher oh, oh, let 's stop for a second let 's just stop because all this stuff sounds good and it sounds good but it's not relevant to some of you. <laughs> You're not listening. You're not listening because you can't imagine that it would speak to you. You've said that. Yeah, in yeah, a yeah. yeah, It's Because that's just the nature of shame. It's God has turned away from you, and there can be no good words spoken to your soul. And and so I'm saying you you've... you've You've already left this story. come back, <laughs> come back into this story. now take this walk with Jesus and, and, and situate your do you feel unclean? Well, okay, situate yourself in this unclean Samaritan village as an unclean woman and 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 hear this mm. and hear it. One time I was speaking about shame with a class, it was a, it was a fairly large class, and it was a wonderful class. just it was it was ministry leaders people who who loved Christ were, were growing in the Lord, just just a wonderfully eager group of people I had a I had a shameful a little mini shameful event in my life right around that time and and I decided to offer it uh, that 's one of the perks of getting old <laughs> yeah, what people think you know whatever you know, whatever they think it 's not half of, of of how bad it really is and and so I ventured this small little anecdote about something that was shameful in my own life. And, and I said, I'm going to ask you a question. And, and, and how many of you here struggle with shame? But now, let, me, let, me, let me put it differently. How many of you struggle with this intrusive shame every day of your life? Where the, this, this the God... You, you're simply an unlovable person. <laughs> and how could he possibly love you? That, things like that enter into every single day life. And I was, I was sort of hoping that maybe one person would raise their hand. And immediately, an entire class of 100 people, really fine ministry leaders, they, they raised their hand.
1: So you did something there in that situation. You revealed something about your own struggle in your teaching. What does healthy and helpful self-revelation of our own issues and struggles as a teacher look like? And what ask, is oversharing I'm ineffective? Ask, I'm going
0: to ask you that question because I, I've thought about it quite a bit, but, but I would be interested in your thoughts. The way I understand Scripture is if I'm speaking about Scripture to a class or to an individual person or in preaching— the deal is that it's have to, it has to have spoken to my own life. And and it has to have spoken to my own life in such a way that I can identify it. So so I, it's curious. In counseling, I don't tend to be very self-revealing because I, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about the other person. But, but in more public settings, sometimes I can be much more self-revealing. And I think it's just sort of this instinctive. Scripture has to speak to my own heart for me to be able to speak it well to others. And here, here is how it is spoken to to my own heart. And, and my poor wife, when people, when people meet her for the first time, Oh, I feel like I know you. I've heard all about you. And, 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 uh, because that's, that's where my own <laughs> sanctification tends to be worked out and the application of Scripture tends to be worked out in that particular relationship. So, so I appreciate the question, but let me, can I throw it back to you? How do you think about those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. I, I in, in seminaries, there was a day where you try to be absent. Yes. And and I, I, I just I just read something from 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 a preaching text recently where essentially you you want to somehow you want you want to somehow be taken over by the spirit, mm. and you want to be absent. And and the spirit himself is going to now sort of enrapture you and take you away and and speak. And and, and, and I can remember when I first heard those things in seminary, it made sense. And I I don't want to make it about me. But then, then as I began to grapple with, this is an intensely personal world of scripture. It's the God who speaks to us and the God who, who expects us to be moved by the things that He says. And and then we speak back. as, as I grappled with the intense personal nature of Scripture, I did find myself, even in my writing, I, I think the first book I wrote, I tried I tried to be completely absent from it. And and I don't know if I was successful but but I, I tried to. And and I think each subsequent book, it began to catch up with my theology more, where, where I became much more part of the things that I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. what, what kind of guidelines do you bring yeah. to that?
1: Well, first of all, my question is always, if, if my goal in teaching, I want to communicate what the Holy Spirit intends to from that text. So I think oftentimes teachers bring so much of themselves or their personal story to it that can I I would never want it to overshadow the mm-hmm. text, but I would love to use it to help communicate the text. Um, I don't know why God's plan was to have His Word go out through human. People and personalities. If it was me, I think it would have come up with a more reliable <laughs> method <laughs> of my word being given out. And yet we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he's called some of us to teach it. And so the word gets communicated through human personality. And I guess I recognize when I'm teaching that help that letting people get to know me a little bit and sharing some of myself frankly it makes people lean in to listen it's something about you could tell me as a counselor perhaps what that is about us we want to feel a human personal connection to truly yeah. receive from someone else we might hear it but to really receive I think we have to establish a personal connection much of the time with our listeners, and really personal story does it. So I guess in terms of is it oversharing? Have I done that? Probably.
0: I suspect you have not, but I understand your point.
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean. Sometimes I love the sound of my own voice, Ed. And I love to talk about myself. and so. <laughs> no, you love to talk
0: about scripture. Uh, I do. So, so I I'm do. going to disagree with you on this. But yeah. I, I do think you, you're probably getting it's a, a bit of a gender uh, yes, difference absolutely. in this. Yes, absolutely. Where men yes. simply do not speak about themselves. Right. If, they're, if they're illustrations, they're about but something I don't, else. But I couldn't
1: go and speak at a women's conference and be received at all and never talk about myself. Okay. Some. But I'm also thinking about one particular message that I've given a number of times. It is also, by the way, the only message I've given where someone stood up and yelled back at me, so you should know that. But, um,
0: now, but now I'm listening. Oh, now you're listening. Good,
1: because I was talking about myself. All right. Uh, but it's a message about forgiveness. And I'm calling those people to do something really hard, which is to forgive people who don't deserve it because they have been forgiven so much. That, and and to see themselves as people who don't deserve to be forgiven. But as soon as the first word, the word forgiveness, comes out of my mouth in that message, I sense some people tensing up because it's kind of an acceptable sin, I think, for many people in the church. And I'll speak, you know, in terms of women's places where I speak, I think it's an accepted sin because you feel so justified in how you were wronged. And so I recognize that there's a a bit of a a barrier there that people are wanting to turn me off cuz they don't want to release that resentment and you know as i go into some of my own struggles to forgive and honestly ed tears come out they do as i talk to you about it right now because it was it was a very hard place for me but it was also i when i look back at this one significant episode of forgiveness, I feel like it's where the dam broke of my resistance toward God and that it was one of the Mm. most profoundly sanctifying, life-changing experience to submit to God and surrender my resentment. Mm. And so, yeah, I share a lot of it in there, but it's purposeful. I believe it helps all those people who want to resist everything I'm saying see then I'm not saying it lightly, that I've struggled with
0: it too. As, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking, how how often do people say to a pastor or a Bible teacher, uh, when, when they reflect on what they heard, it was one story, it was one personal story. We We appreciate that, but we're not quite so sure, because we... We, 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 we are so interested in people grappling with the text of Scripture. Is, is our story going to somehow... It, 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 are they going to feel like they've gotten enough from our story and they don't move into Scripture? So I, so I appreciate the things that you're saying. Yet, at the same time, I listened to one of your stories online. and And, um, and I remember the story and and it the entire story i don't necessarily remember particular scripture from the story but but the entire story says the lord will be faithful to me even in the most difficult of situations which is that's 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 the entire bible so so I, I appreciate I appreciate what we're grappling with where we always want scripture to speak to us personally the question is how do we speak that and how much do do we speak that and how can that that serve the message of scripture the kind of stories we tell and the kind of stories that I, I've heard from you they they do not distract from from the glory of Christ but they they draw you in to the glory of Christ and they give they give hope for people who mm-hmm couldn't imagine there was, there was hope.
1: You know, we're, of course, talking about difficult stories. I guess I'd have to put input here, too. The stories I tell to help people laugh, those are purposeful, too. It's, it's not because I want to be an entertainer, but when you're in a room and a group of women laugh together, a lot of defenses go down. And oftentimes those stories— We are all
0: in it together. Like right, we're all said. in it Definitely. together,
1: and usually it's a story where I look like an idiot. And, but once again, it's serving a purpose, and that is to lower the barrier so they can receive God's Word. And maybe that's a good reason to use some personal story, too, all to serve God's Word.
0: What you're doing is you are talking about the culture of the dinner table of the kingdom of heaven— this is you're saying these are the things we can talk about chances are people are laughing in part because you're saying something that that they don't normally quite say to one another and you're saying oh by the way where where we live with with the one who knows hearts and the one who invites us to speak this is this is all fair game these are things that we can actually speak about so it is it's really a very profound illustration of 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 huge themes in scripture
1: Uh, and you have a new book side by side and I was looking through it I saw the one section called move toward and greet one another Uh, pretty simple basic thing for us as teachers as we're interacting with people in our church or wherever we're teaching tell us what you mean there and then apply it to us as the bible teachers there
0: is teachers and counselors, we're, we're somewhat accustomed to people coming to us. They ask us questions, and and we're. So I, I just started thinking about the little peanuts five cent psychiatric advice uh, booth. We, you know, people come and we dispense our advice. The, but the the nature of the kingdom is, well, grace itself. Grace is is the pursuit of God, the relentless pursuit of God. For people that He has claimed as His own from the very foundations of the world, that's that that is that is our prime experience of life. And and as we ask the question, what do we do with that? How do we live as a result of that? It, it, it from there it, it doesn't become just oh, come, move toward people and be nice. It it becomes very compelling as we have been. Is 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 the divine one has moved toward us. Now we're going to move toward others. We're not going to wait for them. We're we're, we're going to we're, we're going to pursue before we are pursued and, and 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 imagine this. Imagine imagine going into a church where after the service you you look around for somebody to talk to and everybody is engaged. Every, everybody is engaged with each other, knowing and being known. There might be some people off to the side praying together That's that's what move, that 's what we 're hoping to establish uh, by moving toward that that no one is is left out and and it's what do we do I, I guess you have to say something when you move toward, so how are you how are you and and a lot of people have not actually been asked that particular question, and so you're you're pointing just a little tiny slice of of of, of skills that all of us should bring to the body of Christ. But it, it's it's one slice where if we actually did such things, our churches would look would they look very different?
1: Absolutely. Well, let's close this way, Ed. I want you to be our counselor. You're go- you're going to counsel us as a. As one big body of Bible teachers, as teachers, we're very aware of our own inadequacy. And we all have stubborn sins. And there are some things that we we really wouldn't want everyone we're teaching to know. Now, we know that no teacher is perfect and that we're all works in progress. But what would you say to us about how to know when issues in our own lives should keep us from stepping up to teach, at what point do issues in our own lives disqualify or endanger us as teachers?
0: Mm-hmm. Number one is teachers. Are we, are we, are we following the Lord's Prayer? Are, do we have a habit of confessing our own sin before the Lord uh, regularly? <laughs> uh, that's, that's one thing. The second is, if we have a habit of confessing sin, but sin persists, and you're, and you're talking more about sin, it seems, and sin persists, it, it, we are we willing to go to one other person and speak about these things? So that doesn't get to the question, when are we disqualified? It's, it, it's trying to hit it a little bit sooner. When we're teachers, we have a bit of a reputation and it gets a little bit more difficult to speak about sin. But again, we, we, we first, we confess it to the Lord, it, where it becomes natural for us to talk about our sin to the one who, who hears us and invites and forgives. And then from there, to be able to speak with one other person. And to simply, as we've said, help to the Lord, to say help to one other person.
1: Find someone to entrust that to. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for helping us. Uh, teach the Bible. Appreciate all Thanks, the Nancy. the wisdom you've had to offer to us.
0: You're very kind. Thanks.
1: You've been listening to Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie, a production of the Gospel Coalition sponsored by Crossway. Crossway is a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible, Christian books and Tracks, including Side by Side, Working with Others in Wisdom and Love by our guest today, Dr. Ed Welch. Learn more about Crossway's gospel-centered resources at crossway.org.